Hello and welcome to Making Waves with Wiser. I'm your host Izzy Bishop and this is a podcast that celebrates women in tech. In the UK, only 10% of leadership roles in tech are filled by women. So I wanted to create a platform that empowers women, gives others confidence that we can be successful in our careers and still have a family and a social life, and allows us to hear the stories and struggles of some of the most influential women in tech. Each week, I will sit down with a different female leader and we will speak about their three most impactful moments in their career so far and what lessons they have learned from them. Motherhood is one of the most beautiful, precious experiences in life, but it can make you lose your voice and purpose in your career. So how do you get that back when you've spent such a huge proportion of your life doing the most important job of all, being a mum? Judy Moon is not only a chief plate spinner and super mum, according to her LinkedIn, but she is also the vice president of sales at global SaaS platform Everything. Throughout her career, Judy has worked for Time Inc, focusing on Sports Illustrated, Entertainment Weekly and Time Magazine, and she has worked as a producer in the films industry and most recently transitioned into the world of tech. Born and raised in South Korea, Judy was raised as a, in a culture where women didn't have much of a voice, and so she made it her mission to be heard and to make an impact. Madeline K. Albright once said, It took me quite a long time to develop my voice, and now that I have it, I'm not going to be silent. And from previous conversations with Judy, neither is she. Judy Moon, welcome to Making Waves. Hi, Izzy. It's so great to be with you. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me. You're welcome. It's so great to speak to you. And I know that you're all over, all the way over in the States. So thank you for taking some time out of your day or morning to speak with me. But I thought that that quote from Madeleine Albright was such a brilliant one to start with. And I think it is so important for everyone to find their voice. But going straight into your first impactful moment that you sent over to me, which was moving to a small town in Pennsylvania from South Korea at age seven, you came to the US with literally no voice because you didn't even speak the language. What was that like coming to a new country, leaving your family, making new friends and and not speaking that language? Well, first of all, I just absolutely love that quote. Um, So, and I'm a huge fan of Madeleine Albright. So thank you for sharing that. Um, It was quite a, I would say, looking back at that time, it was actually a very mixed time for me. Um, I actually came to the States with my family, but we were all immigrants new to this country. We did not speak the language. Uh, We um, settled in a small town in in Pennsylvania where there were very few people uh, of different backgrounds and different ethnicities in in, in the area. So it was a bit of a shock to the system, uh, but at the same time, um, a whole new world had opened up to, to me. So it was a mixture of just um, feeling like an alien, kind of (laughs) dropping into a new universe, but at the same time being filled with wonder at this new place and and, and new people and and new possibilities. So it was quite mixed. I mean, it must have been really scary because at that age where you are seven years old, you are, I guess, finding your voice, being a young young child and and it is really important for you to make friends and when you go to school you want to make sure that you can converse with your peers I know my mum she um she lived in Iraq growing up but she didn't speak 
Arabic. And I remember her telling me stories that she found it really, really difficult and she felt a little bit isolated. Did you ever feel that when you came to the US that you couldn't really find your feet for the first couple of months or years? Oh, very much so. Um, not speaking the language, uh, it was a huge deal, right? Um, even though young people do pick up uh, things pretty quickly, but not being able to share uh, and to communicate with with others uh, of my age group, that was extremely difficult. Uh, at the same time, because we have mo- moved into a neighborhood where we really stood out, I experienced a lot of racism um, uh, during those years. And so that combination actually uh, made me withdraw into myself. It, it was a very difficult time for me, actually, as a young child coming to a brand new country, new, new, new people, not understanding the culture. And so I withdrew to the point where I remember this so clearly. My third grade teacher actually thought I had a developmental issue because I had I was so quiet and because I had withdrawn so much. And so she called in my mother, who actually didn't speak English, who had to pull in somebody who could translate to express her concern. And when in fact, it was simply because I was going through a bit of a traumatic transition actually. So literally, I had lost my voice. <laughs> God, that is ridiculous that they that they just came to that assumption. I mean, you said there that you did experience some racism. Do you feel like that has gotten better as you've gotten older and you've been in the States for a long time? I mean, you even say that you are a New Yorker at the moment. So do you feel like things have gotten better throughout the years or do you still experience some elements of racism if you don't yeah. mind asking? No, absolutely. It has gotten better. I grew up in a small town uh, where that was very homogeneous. So, and this was back in uh, the 80s. Um, But when I went to, so that persisted all through lower school, middle school, high school. Uh, It was pretty, there were some very traumatic moments as a young person. But then I went to the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and I really wanted to get out of the small town universe. And so I, I went to Philadelphia, attended university there, um, and that was, you know, a huge improvement because there were um, many others who, who, I mean, it was a very diverse uh, uh, group of students. So that helped quite a bit. And then when I came to New York after university, of course, New York is, you know, is full of um people of different backgrounds and different races and so forth. So, and now as an adult, I rarely actually experience it though recently due to the social and political um, circumstances of this country, uh, there's been a hu- some backlash um, uh, towards Asian Americans uh, in, in the context of COVID. So there has been, you know, this has kind of resurged recently, which is really concerning to me because I have young children and so forth. I mean, it must, I can't even begin to imagine what it must feel like and to go through that. And it must also feel quite scary in that almost just, do you feel like frustrated, like you've been through this and you've almost done like a full 360 and you're coming back to being under scrutiny and people looking at you in a certain way that you feel like you felt like had disappeared? Well, actually, I haven't personally experienced this for for a long time, actually, Um, but I'm concerned for others right, uh, um, outside of New York. Actually, even within New York, I was recent, reading recently about some incidences against Asian Americans. Um, it is, 
of concern, but it's not just, you know, uh, us. I, I think there, there are lots of issues around race in this country that, that's quite problematic. Because you were raised in a culture where women didn't have a big voice. And I know that being part of that culture almost made you more hungry to have a voice and to make an impact. So what was your childhood like growing up in South Korea? And, and what were the women in your family growing up like? So um, I don't remember too much of those early years in South Korea. I, I immigrated to the U.S. when I was seven. However, um, growing up as a young person here, I did. My family is still very was very traditional. I grew up with a grandmother in the house. We spoke only Korean. So while we were not physically in Korea, uh, I was raised in a very quote unquote Korean household with very traditional values. So I witnessed quite a bit of you know what I consider to be sexism, uh, boys and girls being treated differently, um, boys and girls having different expectations. I witnessed the roles that my, my father and my mother played, um, the dynamics between my mother and, and my grandmother, her mother-in-law. There were lots of things that I witnessed growing up regarding gender inequality that really kind of formed some of my early uh, views around this topic. And, and also, you know, it has, they have stayed with me uh, in, in different contexts, of course. And now being a very successful woman in the workplace, how does that feel like when you go home to see your family? Like, is it something that maybe th that they've started to progress with? Like, what was your your parents and your your mum's uh, standing in, in her career? Was she working mum or was she a stay at home mum? And was she following those, I guess, categories that you were talking about that m men worked and women stayed at home? So it's been a number of years um, since I, I uh, was at home with, with my family. Um, and I would say that even within my own family um, uh, dynamics, things have changed quite a bit. My parents have become much, much more progressive about, about things <laughs> decades later. Um, my mother, uh, to answer your question, my mother did work. Both my parents worked day and night when we first immigrated to the States, just out of sheer necessity. It was less about the work versus stay at home as it was more about, I think, um, expectations and standing in, in, in a family um, between the man and the woman. You know, there were just certain roles and responsibilities. Like for example, my mother to this day, whether she worked or not, still cooked <laughs> three meals a day for my father, right? I mean, they're both retired now, but there were certain things that men didn't do and certain things that men, women do, did, right? So those kinds of, you know, old fashioned ideas still persist to some degree, but I would say my parents have also evolved quite a bit over time. And and I know that they're very proud of me. They, they, they are, a, uh, uh, um, what do you call it? They, they are also a product of their history, their culture and their, their backgrounds, right? So I don't lay any blame on them. It's just the way it was when, when they were younger, right? Where they came from, this is how it was. As I mentioned, Judy, you have had a really impressive career so far, and you are currently vice president of sales for a global tech company, but you started your career working at Time Inc., which was your second impactful moment, moving to New York to begin your career at Time Inc. after university. So why was this such a big moment for you? It was a big moment for, for me uh, for a number of different reasons. Number one, I wanted to come to New York 
Uh, I wanted to go to the big city. As I said earlier, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. Attending university in Philadelphia was my first step out of that sort of small world I grew up in. Um, I knew that I wanted to come to New York after graduating, and my dream was to work in the media industry. I had studied communications and English at the University of Pennsylvania, and my goal was to go work for a large uh, media company. And I had been a huge fan of magazines. This is a time when magazines were very popular. Um, and to land a job, dream job at Time Inc., the home of Time Life, Sports Illustrated, people, you know, money, et cetera, uh, was, was a dream come true. So, um, so first landing, a, you know, a, a, an opportunity at such an illustrious company was amazing. Secondly, to, to be uh, a female, an Asian female, in an industry that was still very homogeneous and very male dominated. I mean, not in my immediate group, but I think large, you know, in the larger community, it was, it was definitely more male dominated. So that, that was important to me. Um, and it just really opened up my world, right? Beyond Pennsylvania, beyond university into this whole world of, of communications and, and, um, and New York City and, and you know, so forth. So it was just, it was an amazing time for me. Did you ever feel, I know you mentioned there that it was quite a male dominated industry and, and being one of the few females in that industry, did you ever feel, I guess, a little bit of imposter syndrome or like, I didn't feel like I fit, fitted in here or, or did you feel quite welcomed? Yes and no. Well, yes, um, I to a certain extent, I, I felt that you know, in in the early years of my 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 career, um, but I also saw that as a challenge. I, I actually have always embraced challenges. I loved the idea of when I was younger, the idea of not becoming a doctor, not studying engineering, all the stereotypical careers that you know Asians and other minority groups were expected to go into. Right, I challenged that. I I love mm. to do walk to the beat of my own drummer. And working at a company like Time Inc. as an Asian female, um, I love that. I embrace that. You know, sometimes I would be in a boardroom with uh, mostly white men. Uh, it was what it is. No criticism about it. But I, I, you know, I saw that as a challenge to rise to the occasion and to have my voice heard and to actually, you know, represent um, underrepresented groups, right? Um, so it, it, in a way, yes, it, it felt there was a certain level of discomfort, right? It wasn't, you know, natural feeling to me to be in those kind of situations. On the other hand, I wanted to be in those situations. I wanted to put myself in, in, in moments where I was uncomfortable so I could challenge myself because that's sometimes what it takes to, to make change. I think that's brilliant, Judy, that you are wanting a challenge because I think so many people in life can just, I guess, coast and, and be comfortable and not challenge themselves. Where has this come from, though? I mean, I know we spoke at the beginning of this interview about your upbringing and you said that you, at a young age, experienced some racism or, and you were living in a culture where women didn't really have a voice. Do you think it's because of your upbringing and you're almost like trying to rebel about that, rebel against that and, and want to challenge yourself and, and be the most successful you that you possibly could be? Yeah, you know, I've asked my, this, my, uh, myself this question. It's a really good one. And I've asked myself this as well. I think it's a combination 
question, right? Because when I look at some of the most uncomfortable moments I had, like when I was at Penn, for example, or even in high school, I would always seek out leadership roles. And, and being in those leadership roles meant I needed to put myself out there, doing things that were not necessarily, that, that didn't necessarily come naturally to me, like public speaking, for example, or taking on certain roles. But for some reason, I kept seeking these roles out whether it was the editor of the newspaper in my high school, or whether it was president of you know a number of different uh, student organizations at universities, or you know when I became a stay-at-home mom, I became head of the PTA. It, it, for whatever reason, I was seeking out these opportunities, and I think it's so. It pr- must be a combination of the environment in which I grew up, where I rejected certain stereotypes, and I saw those as challenges. But I think part of it is just in my DNA. I think I, I'm sort of wired in, in many ways to be this kind of person. So it's a combination of nature and nurture is my conclusion. Do you ever feel though that you have done enough because you're always striving for more and you're always tri- striving for the top <laughs> and that highest level? Do you ever feel like you're done and ever can sit back and go, well done, I've done well? <laughs> I, you know, for, for me, it's less about the end result uh, it, it's not. It's less about where I, you know, the destination, as it is more about the journey. And when I aspire, when I set standards, it's not because I'm looking to achieve X, Y, Z. It's really about an approach that I take in life, that whatever I do, whether it's personal or professional, or whether it's simply just, you know, making my bed in the morning. I'm just looking at my bed right now, right? It's really about a certain way that I want to approach life, to be mindful and thoughtful, to do the very best. Um, and my very best may not be somebody else's very best, right? But I set the, yeah. the, the bar high for myself, not necessarily just achieve a certain end result, but because that's the way I want to approach life. So I don't think that there's an end to that, right? Because I could be the same way if I wanted to retire and create a garden, for example, right? It's just the way that I approach life in general. Mm. I think that's so important what you said there, that your best might not be somebody else's best. I think we are forever comparing ourselves to other people. And I personally think as, as women, I think because we are striving for success and we are almost trying to prove our worth in the workplace, that we have earned our spot here and we have earned our right, that we are maybe comparing ourselves to other women in the workplace. What's your view on that? Do you feel like there is that competitive nature? Well, I think, it, you know, it, in my current company at Everything, first of all, there are, you know, very few women actually on sort of at a certain level, right? Actually, in general, there are many less women than there are men. I think that just reflects mm-hmm. the nature of the tech, tech world, right? Which is very male dominated. Uh, the world of sales, which is which is you know where I uh, function in, um, it's a very competitive you know world anyway. Whether you're a man or a woman, I think generally this idea of women supporting other women, um, it's a mixed bag. I, I would say that we are living in a really good time now, where I think ever since the Me Too movement, there there has been a major push for more gender equality. Um, and, um, you know, there are many organizations that have popped up, like Chief, which is, a, you know, I'm a member of Women in Tech and et cetera, that are, you know, their sole mission is to help uplift women into 
positions of leadership. So I think that helps a lot. I don't want to comment about, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are women who are competitive and there are others who want to be supportive. It's like any other group of people, right? <laughs> I don't think it's any more or less yeah. for, for women. You mentioned, Judy, that your career is a journey and you have had an incredible journey because after Time Inc, you worked in the music industry and as a film producer, so you've pretty much done it all. Um, But then according to your LinkedIn, you took some time off, as I said in the introduction, to be a chief plate spinner and supermom. And when we previously spoke, you said that you've been a feminist from quite a young age because you've always wanted to be independent and never wanted to depend on a man. But you did meet a man that you got married to and you had kids and took some time off work as as most women do. And I think women can 100% do both, be a mum and have a successful career. But I do know, and I know I'm not a mum myself, but it is difficult when you do have a child, you feel that, that thought of guilt if you are to be at work and to leave your kids at home with a babysitter or, or with your husband. But did you feel the opposite because you did take that time off work? And did you feel almost guilty that you weren't working and you were missing that time at work? It's it's, it's a really complicated situation for women. But I think that, you know, finding the right partner is probably, and I tell this to my daughter, I have a a daughter who's 18 now, uh, and we've been having these conversations for years now. I, I think what I say to her is finding your partner is probably the most important decision you will make as an adult. Because once you, you know, whether you get married or you decide to live together or you, you know, you have some sort of partnership, how you see things, the larger questions around life is so important that you align on certain basic things. And that really, you know, those conversations should be had early because you don't want to get into a situation where you're surprised that you have a very different view of things than your husband or your partner. But your third impactful moment was re-entering the workforce again in 2013 after raising your two kids. And you did have 15 years off. So what was that moment like going back to work after all of that time? Like, was it really scary? And, and also after 15 years, I'm sure that the world of work had changed quite a bit. So it must have been quite surreal going back in thinking, ah, how do I find my feet again? How do I find my voice? Where do I sit within the workplace? Yeah, you know, me re-entering the workforce, um, it was September 2013. That was a really, really challenging time for me. I was going through my husband and uh, ex-husband and I separated. Um, I wasn't working when that happened. Um, We were in a very challenged financial situation. I had two young kids who were just entering their adolescent years, which I think most parents, you know, would would know that are are some tough years, right? Um, And then I started working again in an industry that I had zero knowledge of because during the time that I had stayed at home to be with the kids, the technology and the internet had changed everything. So somehow (laughs) um, I fell into technology during the most challenging time of my life So learning new skills, being, you know, um, getting used to working full time again, raising two young adolescent kids as a single mom, going through a divorce, on and on. Uh, It was just brutal. Um, But yes, but I had to, you know, in order for me to pick up the new skills, in order for me to 
to do my job well, and I didn't want to let down the people who had put their faith in me. I literally had to work twice as hard. I, I was working 24-7 because I was learning and doing at the same time and raising kids and just, you know, getting up every day and putting one foot in front of the other. Um, so it was a really, really challenging time for me in, in many, many different ways. And then a year later, <laughs> we had a uh, something that just added on, on to, to all of that. We had There was a fire in the building that the children and I, actually my parents were living with us at that time, uh, were living in and the building burned to the ground. So we left the morning with our, you know, the kids with their school bags, me with my work bag, and we came back and there was nothing left, nothing, not a piece of paper, nothing. Everything we owned and my parents owned, gone, burned to the ground. I know it sounds very cliche, but like opening a new chapter and just having it all happen at once, although it must have been so awful and I can't even begin to imagine and, and so difficult for you to be working 24-7 and, and in it, working in a new job, let alone a new industry, let alone when you have two young kids to be looking after is hard enough. And then factoring in your house burning down and, and you losing everything, that must have been such just a, a mind-numbing experience but it also did it teach you to I guess not sweat the small stuff and and to realize what's really important and that materialistic things just don't matter and that all that really matters is is your family and your health because I had gone through um, some challenges as a young person you know we talked earlier about my younger years as an immigrant to this country experiencing racism and this and that like I developed resiliency, like I, I developed inter, inner strength, knowing that I could handle almost any situation that was thrown at me. So I, I, I think that, you know, that developing that inner strength, you know, that confidence in yourself to know that you can get through this, right, is really important. So when all these things happened to me, literally, like, survival skills kicked in and it was about getting up you know putting one foot in front of the other doing what it you know what it took to just survive and and move on mm -hmm. um and then to your other question about did it feel in some ways kind of refreshing to <laughs> to start all over again you know i've never been a materialistic person things never really mattered that much to me so it was less about the things as it was more about all the photos that I lost of my children, nothing had been backed up. Yeah. The piano and the cello that, right? And, and all the music they had played on, yeah. It just reiterated th this idea to me that we have to learn to live in the moment, right? Photos and all of, even photos, it, it's about looking back, back at the past. It's, it's reliving the past, right? And, and it, I'm, I have really adopted in the last 10 years this this really important idea of being present in the moment, being mindful of what's right, right in front of you. So, you know, I, you know, the kids and I came, and my parents, we came to, I mean, it was sad to, to lose the personal stuff, but we got over it. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. We were healthy. We were, we were alive and we moved on. I mean, it's brilliant that you're seeing that silver lining, Judy, and that you're able to talk about it and to talk about that really, really tough time of your life. So I, I really appreciate you opening up, but I think this must be really beneficial to the listeners who maybe are going through a tough time at the moment. I know a lot of people are struggling at the moment due to COVID and, and other 
other circumstances that might be going on in, in their life. And the fact that it has made you so resilient and given you so much strength and you're almost like, well, it can only get better from here. And now you have taught how to just get up and dust it off and, and move on. You must have some days though where you do go back to that moment and you feel down and you just don't want to get out of bed and you're feeling just like a bit helpless. What advice would you give to people that are maybe at that stage at the moment? Yeah, you know, that this is the reason why I'm sharing some of my challenges because, you know, I've done podcasts where I talk about all my triumphs, right? And even my friends who, who don't know me very well, they know about what I've accomplished. But I think it's also important to understand that behind all those accomplishments, there were tough times as well. You know, there are highs and lows in life. So I think it's also important that we're honest and open about some of those tough times. And I think that, you know, part of the, uh, this is sharing so that others don't feel so alone when they're feeling this way. I had this, you know, in 2013, when all of this was happening in my life, I literally, on a yellow sticky note, I drew, hand drew a cup that was half full. And, and, and I actually taped it to my computer monitor to always remind myself to look at life as being half full and not empty. And I took a photo of it. To this day, I have a photo of that that's yellow sticky note that I placed on. And because your mind is the most is the strongest thing that you have, and you can control it, right? You can will it to 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 look at life through your own lenses, right? And so I think it's about always focusing on the things that you have some control over. There's so many things in life that you have zero control over. So there's no need, really. It is really silly to spend your energy thinking about things that you can't control. You have to let those things go and channel your energy into the things that you actually have some influence over or have some control over. And, and that's where the positivity comes in, right? Thank you. I think that, yeah, it's so incredible. And I think more people need to, to realize that if you can't control things, there's no point worrying about it, but worry about what you can control and fill that glass with positivity and and try and take every day as it comes. But I do want to speak to you about going back to the workplace after taking time off uh, from being a mother. And people often say that if you have taken time off to, to be a mom and, and to, to look after your children, that sometimes your skill set must be rusty and you must have lost those skills but like you said in your LinkedIn post you were a professional plate spinner and I think that that is so true being a mum is the hardest job of all as we mentioned previously you're working 24 7 and it does teach you so many skills that not being a mum like you won't have those skills if you're not a mum so do you think that this has made you a better worker and what strengths do you think mothers have in the workplace that others don't? Yes, there are uh, lots of different sort of, we call them soft skills that you pick up being a, a mom. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to you know paint a rosy picture here. It, it's not easy to go back to, to working full-time after having taken time off. And actually my situation, because I don't want listeners to think this is really common. My situation is actually highly uncommon. And I was very fortunate to be able to jumpstart my career again after such a long uh, break. I, and, you know, prior to, to getting my first full-time position, uh, I spent a couple of years trying to get back into, into work. I sent out so many resumes and so many feelers and I didn't get any response back, but it was finally through some personal networking 
um, where I was able to get some consulting, short-term consulting projects that summer before I start working in tech. And one thing led to another. So sometimes, you know, my advice for women who want to go back to work is to do short-term projects, volunteer work, um, you know, whatever it takes to just get back into the world. Because once you're back into it, one thing will lead to another. Don't wait for that ideal job. Don't wait for the dream position. You know what I mean? Like it may not be exactly what you want. It maybe it's in a slightly different industry from what you want, but do something. I think moving forward is better than standing still. I, I feel like you are in this really, really happy place. And when we spoke previously, you said that you're finally starting to find your feet again and that you're in this second part of your life where you're back in the workplace. Can you just talk to me about this feeling that you're you're experiencing right now and, and what are you excited about for the future? Yeah, I'm really, really uh, at a great place right now. I'm, um, you know, I've been in tech for, I think it's going on eight years now. I this um, Everything is a third startup that I'm working for uh, in, a, in a different role, actually, than previous roles. So I had um, client ser- services, customer success, business development roles before coming into sales. And that jump into sales is also highly unusual. So I don't want people to think that's, you know, so easy to do. Um, and I'm loving it. And I'm loving actually being in a position, in a sales position, because you eat what you kill. There's no ambiguity around the effort you put in and the uh, result you get back. Sometimes, you know, in, 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 in the past, I felt like I was doing so much work and yet I wasn't getting rewarded for, for that work or that somebody else was getting credit for it. And that's one of the reasons why I actually went into sales because sales is pretty cut and dry, right? Um, and also, I think when you're a revenue generator for a company, you're much more valued in some ways than, than if you're not. I mean, it's just the reality of, you know, of companies. So I would encourage, and, and actually <laughs> um, in tech, there's so few women, but there, there's even less women in revenue generating roles. So I, I would encourage women to think about that when they're starting out as, as you know, sales as a career path, because I, I really enjoy it. So I think overall, beyond just the career, I'm at a really great place where I feel like, um, I'm really hitting my stride. I've, I've found my voice again. I'm, I'm in a career that I love. Um, my kids are, you know, I'm an empty nester now, freeing up my time to do some other projects. I, th- I feel like there's so much that I could say and that I could contribute. Um, so it's it just all feeling really great to me right now. Oh, I'm so happy for you. And I mean, you said earlier that you always strive for the best. You wanted to be the head of PTA. You always want to be at the top of the company. So where is next for you? Do you have a plan or are you just taking every day by day? (laughs) Well, I want to actually go back. So that comment, I just want to say it's not, again, it's not about the end um, destination. It's really about achieving certain level of excellence. So I've always been about excellence. Um, Yes, I do have some idea and a vision and I'm excited about it. Well, keep manifesting it and I can't wait to see what that is. I look forward to seeing where you go in the future. But thank you so much, Judy, for appearing on Making Waves. I've absolutely loved chatting to you today. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I think it will help so many people. Thanks so much, Izzy. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. 
and I'll see you next week.